You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined tonight, of course, by my host, uh, my co-host, Alex Morallo, Dylan Terman. We, uh, Life's been a little hectic, so we haven't done a ton of shows with the three of us lately, but tonight is a big one, so we made sure we could all be here. Uh, if you've been listening to this show for a couple of years now, you know that we do our very best not to go over the top with nonstop draft talk from the second the season ends, as tempting as it is, and we try not to do 25 mock drafts. We, do, uh, we used to do two, now we do three a year. One pre-combine, one post-combine, and one in the week before the draft. Tonight is Mock Draft 1.0. It's always fun. We know we'll be wrong. You're lucky to hit on anyone outside of round one. People are going to call you a moron on Twitter. We're fine with that. It's, it's some fun. It's a way to get our thoughts out on some players. And let's face it, uh, you know, I think if, if, when, when fans do these, if you took a step back, you're really picking as you would pick versus it, it's a, even when you think you're predicting what the team will do, you're there's, there's some, there's some bias in there and you're, and you're, you're sneaking your guys in there. Um, and that's, what's going to happen. And, and who the hell cares? It's all for fun. Uh, we're going to touch on a couple of quick questions before we get into the draft. But uh, first of all, Alex, how you doing tonight? Uh, Dylan, go ahead and follow him up. Let us know how you're doing. Doing well. Uh, it's been a long winter as they would say in game of Thrones. So um, looking better for free agency and spring weather and, and we're getting closer to, to more football. So all smiles on our end, on my end over here. Yes, sir. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Um, can't wait to get into it. We're finally into the meat of it. It's March free agency is right around the corner. Draft is less than two months away. Just finally ready to start putting this team together and seeing what we can come up with. Absolutely. So, so a couple questions I wanted to delve into real quick, fellas. Uh, Dylan, you can go ahead and give us an answer, and then Alex chime in after him. But I, I posed this on Twitter a few days ago, um, and it really came from thinking about, you know, as fans, we sit around and we want every morsel, every nugget of information we can get. We listen to every interview with the GMs and the coaches and the this and the that. And really, when those guys speak, they're blowing smoke. You know, every, every player is great. Every, they, they can't wait to work with everyone on the roster. Everyone is buying in. Everyone is so much better in person than I thought they were. But really, they're just saying the same thing about every guy. Uh, Adam Gase told us how much he loved Eli McGuire right before they cut him. And then he said he loved Robbie Anderson, and Robbie saw two targets a game. Like, these guys just make it up as they go along. If you had access, if you could pick three players on the current roster – which three players would you want to know? Would you would you want to you know uh, be able to sneak a peek at their internal scouting report kept kept in Joe D's office in Florham Park? Who do you want to read about and know? Where does this guy stand with this team right now? For me, I'll throw out my three names real quick: Chris Herndon, because I still haven't given up on the guy, and I think he can be a difference maker, and I think he saves them from having to use a draft pick at that position. 
Ty Johnson, it's terrible we didn't see more of him last year. He's another guy. If they like him enough, he's got that one cut, that quick burst, that good speed. He's a guy that could save them having to use a pick on a running back. I mean, they would still want one or two because, the, the, you know, the running back position is, is pretty much depleted right now. And I want to know about Cam Clark. How do they feel about him? We know the, the offensive line has to be rebuilt. But he, as I said many times, was one of my favorite picks last year. Of course, everyone loved Becton because who doesn't want a 500-pound left tackle? Um, and, of course, Hall offered great value at corner where they got him. But just in terms of guys that I watched before the draft extensively and hoped that the Jets would take, Cam Clark was that guy for me. So when they took him, I was thrilled. I want to know if they view him as I did last year as a guy who could be a starter. So while Jets fans are saying we need two or three more interior offensive linemen, does the Jets scouting report say this guy's good enough to be our starter in 2021 or 2022? So those are my three. Those are the guys I would love to know what the Jets really think about them. We're not going to find out, of course, until training camp and the season starts. That's when you find out the guy's either on the team and playing or he's not. So, Dylan, give us your three. Then, Alex, give us your three. Yeah, so without stealing any of the three that you had, because I think almost every Jets fan is questioning what Cam Clark is and what Ty Johnson and, can oh, and be. And not to cut you off. Sorry, um, Dylan. Sorry, Dylan. I, I, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off because fans will say, what, why the hell aren't they mentioning him? I, I specified beforehand, no Sam Darnold. Of course we want to know what's going on with Sam Darnold. Of That's course. too easy of a question. So Darnold is off the list. Everyone wants to know what they think about him. Didn't mean to cut you off, but I didn't want people listening to say, why the hell are they not saying they want to know what they think about Sam Darnold? <laughs> and that's what would have Carry happened. On. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So Carry first on, on my list is Jameson Crowder. I think he's the top on our payroll at number one, if not number two, as far as um, salary cap hit going into 2021. And like we said off, uh, off air right before we went on, is that there are a lot of slot receivers in this draft that could be the younger, cheaper options. So Jameson Crowder is number one on my list there. And then number two, I have Bless Austin. I think he's had an up-and-down career, even on film, with the injuries when he battled back. He's done okay. He kind of got outshined last year by Bryce Hall, who you mentioned. And I think what he has left in the tank or what they see in him is kind of a big question mark to me. And then third, I cheated a little bit because he's technically still on the roster. We're kind of waiting to see if they sign him long-term or franchise tag him, but I chose Marcus May. I think if they're going to put a lot of dollars into this player, into this position, I want to know a little bit more about him. I I think all the fans love him. They, They want him to be signed and retained and be a Jet for life, but he would be number three on my list if I had to dig into Joe Douglas's notebook. All right, three good choices. Alex, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to be honest here. I I did not interpret your question in the same manner that Dylan did. I thought your question was more based on the three that you mentioned, on which one would I, you know, want to know what the Jets are thinking with Clark. um, Right, right. Okay, so so off the the top of your head, take a couple seconds, take take a deep breath, run that (laughs) 53-man roster through your head, and uh, and see who you got. All right, so the three that I have that I'm most intrigued about of what the Jets think of these players is one is Jabari Zuniga. Um, where does he fit with this new scheme of, you know, having a new defensive mind in-house? Because this was – it's a Joe Douglas draft pick, but been, you know, somebody that, let's say, Greg Williams was was interested in. And clearly with the new um, defense coming in here, you know, what does his future hold? Um, Henry Anderson is is number two for me. Um, there's money to be saved by cutting him. So I'm curious on what they think about what they're going to do with him. 
And then lastly is Alex Lewis, um, mainly because of the odd kind of healthy scratch that happened last year. And then he um, was put on, what was that list that he was put on? Like the, it wasn't like the unable to perform list. Non-football injury. Non-football injury list. Yeah, the NFI. Kind of curious of whatever happened with that scenario and, um, you know, what does his future hold with the Jets? Because there is some savings to be had if they were to let him go. Um, I'd like him as a backup in the depth piece, um, but if there's something else going on, you know, just pretty curious. Yeah, and, and not to uh, not to steal any extra time here, but one, one thought I had, Alex, as you were speaking, um, you could almost, you know, when you mentioned Cam Clark, with, me, with him being on my list, you could really pick three guys who were rookies last year, because you mentioned Zuniga, I mentioned Clark, mm-hmm. um, and LaMichael Pirine. I'll tell you what, um, this is something I meant to mention on the show when I looked it up a few weeks ago. I think I tweeted it out. I can't remember. Um, but I don't think I've done a show since I, I saw the numbers. But if you look at LaMichael Pirine and you look at all his physical attributes, his not just his 40, you look at his 40, his splits, his 10-20 splits, his shuttles, all that stuff, you know, that, that kind of indicate quickness, explosion, and all these things. If you were to rack and stack him with every single back that the Niners had last year, and I believe including their practice squad guys, he would rank dead last in almost every single category among the, the backs the Niners had last year. So I wonder, with the new regime, are they looking at this guy and say, listen, Joe, I know you just drafted him, but he doesn't do what we need. He doesn't offer what we want. So... He's a guy, and I'm not saying they're going to trade him because I don't know if the guy has any value. He's not. I didn't like the pick. He didn't blow my, you know, he didn't blow me away last year. Um, but I think he's a guy worth keeping an eye on in, in terms of his fit in this offense because I just don't think he does. And you can say the same for James Morgan. James Morgan, you know, drop back, you know, sling it 50 yards down the field. I don't know if he's a guy who would fit this offense. But not to get off uh, too far off track there. But when you were talking about Zuniga it reminded me about the LaMichael Pirine thing and the fact that his numbers were just so, so poor um, compared to the 49ers in terms of their, you know, speed, quickness, explosion, things like that. <clears throat> so the next thing I wanted to touch on, guys, before we get into the mocks, I don't know if you uh, – well, I, actually, I do know you saw this earlier because, Dylan, you sent us the link, the interview. Um, Alex, go ahead and kick this one off for us. But uh, Ian Rappaport, NFL insider, appeared on uh, – with Pat McAfee's uh, podcast or whatever it is, and was talking about possible destinations for Darnold and this guy and that guy. And, uh, and then he says, regarding the Jets, Rappaport says, if the Jets decide to stick with Darnold, sitting at number two, there are enough teams close enough to the Jets. And to me, I, I take that to mean like teams in the top 10. Nobody, you know, you're not talking about the team picking 29th. You have a few teams in the top 10 who could be looking for a quarterback, and the bidding for that number two pick could get so high that the Jets could potentially get the type of package a team would normally get for the number one overall pick. Now, for me personally, I, if, if I'm the Jets, and let's say the Panthers call me up, Carolina Panthers, they want to leapfrog teams, and you know they want to leapfrog the Falcons, and they want to leapfrog the Broncos, I think they're up there, whoever, and they want to get somebody, and they call the Jets and say, listen, We'll give you two ones, we'll give you two twos, and, and a three. Some, something along those lines. We'll give you five draft choices in the top hundred. Five premium draft choices. 
that's a no-brainer, in my opinion, and this is why I want to talk to you guys and see if you, if you are on the same page. To me, like, you can tell me all day, and I'm, I'm one of the people saying, you take Zach Wilson or, or Justin Fields or even if it's Lance, Trey Lance, if he's the guy, whoever your top quarterback is, I'm saying you take that guy now because you don't know where you'll be picking next year. And you can't, you know, the, the worst-case scenario for the Jets is they bring Darnold back, he improves marginally, and they're picking 19th next year, but he's still not good enough to retain. Then that's like the nightmare scenario. You're, you're out of distance for, the, for one of the top quarterbacks, and, and the guy you have isn't good enough. That being said, if you can add five premium picks, even four premium picks, depending on where they are, I, I'm making that move, and I'm sticking with Sam Darnold. Because as far as I'm concerned, Joe Douglas, he just got you know two premium picks for Jamal Adams, plus his own premium picks, and you add five to that, that's, that's like 10 picks in the top 100 over the next two years. If you can't build a winner with that, you're not going to build a winner. Like, I don't want to hear that, like, oh, but, but Sam this and Sam, Sam's not this and he hasn't done that. If you can't find enough good players to build a contender with that many premium picks in a two-year stretch, then guess what? That's the point at which we find out Joe Douglas isn't a good GM. And if he is, if he's the guy we hope he is, eight, nine, ten premium picks, that should be five, six starting players. That that's you know, I know quarterback's important. And and that doesn't preclude them, that doesn't stop them from taking the quarterback next year. So if I'm the Jets and I get a premium offer, I'm passing on a quarterback and I'm dealing Sam. And who knows, you might you might move down to eight, you might still get Trey Lance. Who knows where he goes? But either way, if you're the Jets, Alex Somebody calls, they offer you a haul of picks. Are you keeping Sam and rolling with him? Or are you saying, listen, I'm not moving off of Justin Fields or, or whoever you have it to. I'm not moving off the guy we like now. We're going to, you know, strike while the iron is hot, draft this kid now and build around him. Or are you going to say, you know what, I, I like the idea of 10 picks in the top 100 over the next two years? Yeah, the idea of, you know, getting more picks is always enticing, but um... – you never really know what the future holds. Like you said, you don't know where, um, you you know where we're going to end up next year, and and how this this season would play out. A lot of factors, you know, um, that can change drastically for for the Jets' future here. Um, you know, not knowing like how what we've done in free agency. You know, if if they go out and let's say they spend decent money on a backup QB as a safety net. Um, you know, that would probably uh, give us a little bit more of an inclination on, on what they're anticipating on doing for the future. Uh, because I don't know if it's a, it's a safe move to, to roll with Darnold and not have a viable backup plan. Like, you know, Joe Flacco got us by a few games last year. I think we would need something a little bit better if we want to, you know, not have the, the, tor- the tiki torches get lit and, and come for, for the Johnsons down there. And, uh, Florham Park, but um, yeah, that, that's a tough question here. Um, I'd have to know how many picks there are and, and things like that, um, you know, and, and, and what kind of uh, compensation we would get back and, and who would be the signal caller, you know, are we going to be working with a scenario with a rookie QB and a Marcus Mariota as a backup or, you know, what, what is that, what kind of world are we going to be sitting in? Um, maybe, better the devil you know than the one you don't is kind of how I feel about that scenario. Um, and as of, as of right now, um, until any deals start 
describing like, you know, serious fruition, everything's rumors to me and I believe nothing. Um, so as of today, you know, March 2nd, um, Sam Darnold is the quarterback until proven otherwise. And, um, it'd have to be a really, really sweet deal that would set us up, like you said, for years to come in order for me to pull the trigger on that one. All right. Yeah, Dylan. For, for me, for me, I mean, I look just at the top 20 of the first round and I see seven potential teams. You have Atlanta at four, Philly at six, Carolina at eight, Denver at nine, San Fran at 12. And I think those would be like the, the top potential trade up spots. But I mean, if they're offering two ones and two twos, potentially more than that for you to move out and, you know, you're still in the top 12 range where you could still strike on the fourth best quarterback in the draft or, you know, just a potential player that you didn't expect to get. I think that's kind of where the conversation needs to start. I don't think the compensation for the number two pick should be anything less than that because until further notice, the Jaguars don't plan on moving out of one. So currently number two is the highest pickup for grabs. So like uh, Rappaport said in the video, the two basically becomes the first overall pick. We all know Trevor Lawrence is going first. So now you have all the other guys to pick from. So it is the most valuable. Um, as far as my decision, I think that I would still rather roll with a rookie. I know four picks is a lot and Joe Douglas could really turn the team around, but just in the segment before we were talking about players that he drafted last year that now we're questioning whether they're even going to fit on the team as far as P Ryan, Zuniga, Morgan, et cetera. So nothing's a guarantee. So for me, I think you just roll with the pick you have until something comes your way and you just can't refuse the trade. All right. All right, fellas. So before we roll into the mock, uh, we're going to go to the phones real quick. We have a caller on the line, uh, three, four, seven area code caller. What's your name? What do you got? Uh, hey, Glenn, hey, Alex, Ryan. Long time. How are you guys? Good. How are we doing? Doing well. Uh, I heard your guys' point, and um, I don't think I would trade the second pick unless we're getting a the RG3 Washington type of scenario where it's three first-round picks. Yeah, and, and that's kind of, you know, it, it, it when you get into exactly what the compensation is, you know, you might be off by a pick or two. Like, that's just my example. Two ones, two twos, and a three. To me, that would do it. I would accept that deal. You start saying two ones, a two, and a three, probably not. Um, and maybe someone that will take an extra one. Whatever it is, you know, is there a point? Um, and that, that's the, that was a trade that came to mind was the RG3 deal when I heard uh, Rap Sheet say that the Jets could be looking at getting a, you know, a top pick type of haul. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that if you get into that territory, you have to and, – and listen, this is um, – we still don't know again, you know, having opened the show with, you know, being able to find out what the team thinks about a player. The Jets right now, I think are being fairly honest when, uh, with these reports that are leaking where the teams are calling about Sam Donald and they're saying, look, uh, we're not talking about him right now because we haven't finished evaluating the other guys. And if you're the Jets, and listen, I, I understand that, you know, Everyone's got an opinion, and, you know, it, the way it works nowadays is when, it, when an expert, when an insider, when a personality makes a statement that we agree with, we say they're a genius. When we make one they disagree with, we say they're a moron, and look at all the times they were wrong before. Um, but there are guys, you know, we have heard from guys, you know, Mel Kuyper, who, you know, is obviously isn't a scout, but we've heard the Todd McShays, the Daniel, Daniel Jeremiah's of the world. These guys say that 
it's at least worth considering hanging out to Sam Darnold, that he is, you know, came out as a prospect who was rated higher than these guys who they're looking to replace him with. And as I've said before, that I, you know, one thing I think people are discounting a little is that the coaches, the GMs, I mean, especially, you know, your, your coordinators, your head coaches, these guys have egos. And if they sit down in a room and the GM says, look, when, and I, I always remember it because I thought it was a little too generous, but when Sam Donald was coming out, NFL.com had his comp as Andrew Luck. Now, if you're, if you're LaFleur and, and, and they sit you down and say, look, three years ago, this guy was considered a, a franchise, can't miss, you know, top five pick quarterback. Now he's one of the worst in the league. Are you good enough to turn him around? And the guy might say, yeah, I can do it. I've watched him on film. I think we can fix this, this, and that. Now, I don't know. Again, none of us know what the answer is to that. But these guys do have egos. They do believe in themselves. And if they see something in Sam Darnold they like, they might just say, let's go with him. And whether I've said they should move on, not because I don't like him, not because I don't think his situation can be rectified. I think, it's, I think the fact that it's such an unknown and what his price tag will be moving forward makes it prohibitive. And I'd say get the younger guy in at the lower price. But, um, yeah, the, uh, you got anything else for us before we roll into this mock? Uh, I'll just have one quick point. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I think I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to get Darnold off this team is kind of when Flacco came in for those three or four games and he looked relatively better. You had more production. Mm-hmm. That's Mims, Prashard Perryman. And it wasn't mm-hmm. even like Flacco played that well. It, it was just like it's kind of eye better and – yeah, he was much better and in and, and, and the same exact situation. So, like, you, you know, we can all say, and, you know, I love Darnold coming out too, but it's we've seen three years of it, and it's not all his fault. The Jets, obviously, for, for, for whoever comes next, we're going to have to do better. That's, that's an obvious statement. But, um, like you said, cap-wise, you know, making uh, – if you, if you keep him this year, like we're picking second overall, you know, and uh, – Yep. I know we can, get, we can get a bunch of picks back, but I feel like Jamal Adams already set us up for that already. And, yeah, you can add more, but then again, if we're expected to get better, which we are with better coaching, hopefully some nice free agent additions, and then you hopefully nail a couple draft picks this year, suddenly you're picking either 9 or 10 or higher in the draft. You're going to have to give up half of what you already got, you know, back to, to move up to get, maybe get the best quarterback next to year. And this, guy, is yeah. quarterback. this is a yeah, good quarterback class this year. So It is. It is, and that's sort of the uh, the conundrum that I mentioned. You know, the, 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 the worst-case scenario for the Jets, to me, is that Donald comes back isn't that good, but is good enough to knock them out of range of getting a top quarterback. Because then, as you said, yep. you're giving up a bunch of those picks. All right, great I mean, that, point. That, Thanks for calling in. The, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to finish up, and then I'll let you guys get to the mock. But that's, that's unfortunately probably going to be the reality because the team's going to be better. You know, you're not going to get worse worse coaching than Adam Gase and, and these guys. No, so, no. You know, so when you go from that, and even if Darnold isn't even that much better, the fact is, if he goes from 32 to like 25, it's still a better team, you know, as as a whole, mm-hmm. and we'll probably end up with unfortunately five to seven wins, and it'll be enough to kind of screw you over again. And that, and that, but that that would be like the that would be a horrible scenario for me, and I, I just don't, I, I would hate that to be honest. Yep, wholly agree, wholly agree. Thanks so much for calling in. No problem. Have a good one, guys. All right, take care. So, uh, on that point, uh, Dylan and Alex. Uh, we'll get to the mock in one minute. One one quick question regarding that, because this is something that uh, someone messaged me, you know, w- when I said you got to move on from Darnold because you risk being outside of the top 10 next year. But if we're, if we're going to go by history, 
And if we look at the top quarterbacks in the league right now, most of them didn't go in the top 10. So do you kind of look at it and say being in the top 10 isn't the be-all, end-all when you want a quarterback? Because a lot of the best guys right now weren't taken there. Yeah, I'll jump in real quick. I think that's a good argument. Um, You look at, like, specifically, you know, uh, what was it? Patrick Mahomes was number 12. And I think the Chiefs had to trade up substantially far for that type of player. So I think it kind of goes either way. I think the draft. Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think, like, just the way the draft has been going, like, lately, they just expect quarterbacks to go all within the top five, ten picks. So it's like, if you aren't in that range, you have to do everything you can to get into a range. But, like, to your point, I think if you're sitting at 12, 14, maybe you can still get a guy that, you know, drops out of the class. But it's just it's not a, it's not a game you want to risk to play with the quarterback position, in my opinion. You want to get the best position you can to just solidify your guys that there are no question marks and you're not making last-second decisions on who is going to be quarterback three or four for us and can we still get him at this pick. So it's kind of if in like a 50-50 situation, but I think have the better draft position and just make sure you have no question marks. Yep. Alex? You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, we play the scenarios in our head of, you know, if we do this, then, you know, we'll be, you know, in this range for next year and this and that. But the last time I checked, you know, we have a couple ones that rolling into next year and we have future ones. And if we are really, really in love with a quarterback that, you know, we feel like we really, really need to address and, and, and take, you know, uh, why not just push all our chips in? I mean, if you end up getting the right guy, he's worth 10 first round picks. I mean, theoretically, because I mean, they could take you 10 first round picks to find a franchise quarterback. And that that's a decade worth of time to find that. So, you know, you know, and that kind of just like, I just had this thought in my mind right now. It's like, what's stopping the Jets right now from using the Seattle picks and the picks we have this year and just throwing them over to Jacksonville and say, hey, you know, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields isn't so bad, you know, let us go get Lawrence. Why wouldn't we just go all in for a guy like that when being at the number two spot, they're only going back one, we have all this draft capital. I mean, if you're going to go all in, you know, there's no half measures in this game. If you want to win and bring home a championship, you got to be aggressive, um, trying to be lucrative about things and trying to, you know, um, roll the dice and, and, and sit on players in the draft and wait to, to see what comes to you and things like that. I mean, it's just all, you know, a gamble. And, um, you know, most people lose when they gamble. So um, if you're sure about something and, and there's a guy or a player that you want, you know, we haven't had this much draft capital um, since I've been a Jets fan. And, um, you know, use that to your advantage and go get who you want is kind of how I feel. Um, make somebody an offer that they can't refuse to go get your guy. If it's this year, um, if you roll with Darnold and we end up mediocre and we're in the teens next year, pair up both of our first rounders and throw in our 22 um, pick as well and, and see if you get any takers to get you back, you know, into the uh, quarterback drafting position for, for the future, if that's the case. But um, I don't know. I guess the, the moral of what I'm trying to say here is no half measures. Go all in if you're, if you're confident about – a particular player and you think that they're going to fundamentally change the team and the roster today or whenever. And, and if that decision means more wins, more championship opportunities for, for us, for us fans, uh, I absolutely support that decision. 
All right, and that's what it's all going to come down to is how they feel about each guy in this class. So with that being said, without further ado, uh, uh, one, one side note here, a little bit, little bit of weirdness, depending on which site we used. Um, different sites had the Jets having different picks in different spots, uh, mainly the seventh round, because uh, anyone who's been doing mocks on TDN and PFF uh, for weeks now, a couple months really, uh, the Jets didn't have a seventh round pick and they had a couple of six, sixth round picks. Now when you go on and do them, there's one six and now there's a seven. And this is, there's not a comp, no comp picks have been released. The Jets probably aren't getting a comp pick. I messaged a couple of people today who follow the team closely and I'm like, did I miss something? And everybody was like, I'm confused too. They're just sort of, the picks have changed a little. They went from nine picks to 10 and they added a sixth. So with that being said, the Jets will have 10 picks in this draft. We're going to use the TDN, uh, the draft network, uh, mock draft simulator, no trades, at least in this one. We may in one of the next two allow trades, but there will be even limitations on that. We don't need anyone making 37 picks. Um, let's, let's kick things off. Uh, Alex, why don't you get us started here with, uh, with, the, with the Jets' first pick in round one? Who do you have them taking? And, uh, and give us a little bit of why. Okay. So I'm going to start this off for, for the fans out there with the knee-jerk reactions. Um, if you haven't listened to some of our former shows, I please go ahead and do so. Um, Glenn, you didn't get to join us for one of them, but we did an episode to where we talked about what free agents on the Jets roster we would bring back and what top three free agents that we would, you know, target. Um, and, you know, these things kind of factor into kind of how I built this draft um, for myself. Um, like you said, Glenn, we're doing three drafts this season. Um, this one is my fun mock draft. My second one will probably be more of an educated guess of what the team, I think the team will do. And then the last one is going to be a, a Homer one where, where it's what I want the Jets to do. Um, because I kind of feel like I've slighted myself on mock drafts in, in the past, but that's just neither here nor there. So anyway, now that that part is done, um, in the 2021 draft, the New York Jets select number two overall wide receiver Jamar Chase from LSU. Yes, we are rolling with Sam Darnold again for this year with the possibility of having a former starter as his backup in a, in a safety net role. Well, I got to tell you, I uh, didn't see that coming, but I'll Jamar Chase, man. I, what, we saw that, what was that off, tweet? I, I knew I was going to shock the men there. <laughs> Listen, that Daniel Jeremiah tweet put things in perspective a little bit, a little bit for Jamar Chase in that you look at the year Jefferson had out in Minnesota, he was absolutely phenomenal, and he was the clear number two behind Jamar Chase um, at LSU a couple years ago. So if, if the Jets do roll with Sam, um, I kind of said all along that Penny Sewell was the way to go. I've kind of come away from that a little bit. And I'll tell you what, man, if they went Jamar Chase at two, uh, I wouldn't have a big problem with that. Not at all. Um, so good pick there. Uh, that's going to bring us to you, Dylan. Uh, you're on the board. Who do you got? Uh, before I do my first mock draft ever on this podcast, I have a little bit of breaking news that just came down from the Jets' Twitter. Um, they have released – defensive lineman Henry Anderson. So we will Just, have yep. more cap funds coming our way shortly. Um, but to, I guess my question got answered. I was going <laughs> to yeah, say, exactly. and I, I think, you know, think of that. Yep. Yep. My, my thought with Anderson was maybe they renegotiate, but um, wow. you know, listen, we, we all expect, we all knew at the very least 
he'd be coming back at a much, much reduced rate. There was no chance he was coming back at eight, nine million. Ladies and gentlemen, that is as breaking as you get. Way to go, Dylan. Yeah. (laughs) Good job, bud. Um, So yeah, Henry Anderson officially gone. Um, And uh, there's, there's 9 million in cap space for gang green. So maybe that, maybe look at it as we're going to do that. And then we're going to hit, we're going to hit Marcus May with the franchise tag. And that cost is offset almost, you know, down with about a million dollar gap. But that would free up the money to, to franchise tag May and have no impact on the cap. So mm-hmm. thank you for that, Dylan. Yep. And then uh, back to the, the mock draft, just to preface some of the reasoning behind my picks is I, 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 I expect them to go heavily offensive with free agency. I expect them to spend more offensive line, maybe a wide receiver, not necessarily a running back, but I, I, I expect them to spend more money on the offensive side. So you'll see uh, later in my picks, it's a little bit more defensive, but like we just saw with Henry Anderson being released, it's a lot of necessary defensive depth. So, but to kick it off with the number two pick, I have the Jets selecting Justin Fields, quarterback out of the Ohio State. Box score, first and foremost, he had 67 touchdowns to nine interceptions. Also, he added 19 rushing touchdowns. He only played in about seven or eight games this year, and he still had 22 touchdowns and only six picks. He has probably the best arm strength in the class, maybe the best athleticism outside of Trey Lance. His accuracy, he can throw it all over the field consistently, and he's durable. We saw him play with broken ribs against Clemson and still throw for six touchdowns. So I think that's a slam dunk pick if they're not going to stick with Sam Darnold. All right, and that's that's the big debate at the moment, Dylan, as you know, uh, and Alex, as you know, the talk is all, is it Fields or is it Wilson? Fields, Wilson, um, you know, Trey Lance Mm -hmm. we've talked about. Will he sneak in there? I have my concerns with him. Uh, I mean, really, you have your concerns with all these guys. Not, you know, Zach Wilson. What, you mm-hmm. know, why was he? Why, why was he so, so much, so so much less productive the previous year in college? But you know, at the same time, um, I saw a discussion. And by the way, if you're not on the message boards at JetNation.com, get on the message boards at JetNation.com. Um, there was a conversation on there earlier, and it was almost it was weird. It was like they were. Somebody was holding it against him, the fact that he got better. Why would we draft a guy who was so bad two years ago? And I'm like, so improvement is a red flag now? Like, I mean, are we, yeah, are we looking for red bad. flags that bad? Oh, my God, look how much better this guy got. We better not take him. So it, it is kind of a weird thing. But, you know, t- you do worry about one-year wonder and stuff like that. But with that being said, <clears throat> um, that's my guy. With the second pick in the first round, I'm taking Zach Wilson. I completely understand all, all the – like I said, there's concerns about all these guys. Um, I do worry about the level of competition, but rather than worry about who they're playing, you know, as they say, you, you just look at how the guy plays, look at the traits. And while, you know, we did see Justin Fields does look to be an accurate passer, I just I, – I can't remember – and th- this is what broke it for me with, with Wilson. He's got the arm strength. He can run. You know, he can do all the things physically you want. Um, no, he can't run as well as Lance can. He can't run as well as Fields can. But he can run well enough for teams to have to worry about it. Um, throw, you know, the, the number of multiple arm angles, does a lot of things that impress. But the thing that just jumped out at me, and I couldn't get away from it, um, I don't think I've ever seen a guy put up numbers that gaudy, 73% completion percentage, and the number of throws he makes down the field in tight windows is just I, I can't recall because, listen, normally 
when we're talking about these guys who go in round one, at the top of round one, they're normally big-time quarterbacks at big-time programs with these huge numbers that they put up, and you watch the highlight film, and you know they get five, six, seven throws a game where there's not even a defender on, on your television screen. The receivers are so much better than the defenders. They're getting these five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-yard windows to throw into, and you just don't see that with Zach Wilson just time and again and again and again, squeezing it into tight windows, great throws on the run, and completed 73% of his passes doing it. And the example I've given a few times, Mariota really worried me coming out because it was a quick one read, tons of screens, tons of quick stuff with no defenders in the area. And everyone's like, oh, look at this guy. He's completing 70% of his passes. And yeah, he's playing catch. No one is covered. Complete opposite with Zach Wilson. He's my guy for that reason. And uh, that brings us to Alex, who's going to uh, do pick number 23 now, this being from the Seahawks in the Jamal Adams trade. Who are you going here, Alex? Okay, for our second uh, first rounder, um, David from the U.K. um, Almost spilled the beans yesterday on on my, um, my mock draft here. He said, I hope you don't take a running back in the first round. Dave, I hope this doesn't ruin our relationship. Um, <laughs> but my theme this year, as I've been saying all off season, is I think Robert Sala has to go out and utilize majority of our money in free agency to build the defense with, you know, top free agents so that we have at least one side of the ball secured before we go into the draft and then go into this draft and, and grab explosive players. Um, to just fundamentally change everything about our offense. We've had this void of not getting elite um, explosive players from the draft, and it has shown horribly throughout the years with our offense. So with this Travis Etienne, Clemson running back, is on the board. This is a no-brainer for me. Um, Mm. Trying to start a new for for Sam Darnold. You know, Jamar Chase with his – crazy season of 84 catches, nearly 1,800 yards, and 20 TDs to match a running back who we talked about earlier today, all of us. Um, ETN has got the most um, miles on those legs from college. He's got 6,100 total yards with 78 touchdowns. You know, in that 6,100, he's got 1,155 receiving yards. So, you know, he can catch. He can run. um, He's got that long vertical speed, you know, that, you know, he can just take it to the house at any point in time when he finds a lane. Um, so I think if you're going – with my mock, this is saving Sam Darnold's career in New York, and I think that grabbing these two explosive guys to pair up with Mims and some of the other guys we have in-house, I think this is the actual plan that the Jets should have started three years ago to build and bring in as much talent for, for Sam Darnold. And, you know, as per usual, we're a little late to the party on some of these things as the Jets are. Um but I think this year we finally start doing him justice and bring him some elite players or explosive players. All right. So Alex throws away your premium draft pick on a running back. I mean, sorry, Alex takes Travis Etienne with the 23rd <laughs> overall pick. Listen, Alex is uh, we've had, we've discussed this on Twitter. Hey, I've said I, a million times. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, listen, no, in all seriousness. And, and I've said this, there, there are many players. I say this about every year, like ETN is not the guy that I want in that spot, but do you think I'll be mad if that guy's on the Jets? Like the guy is awesome. Right. I just right. I just feel like and we just this is a philosophical difference. 
I just feel like you can get someone maybe a few picks later. And I, I, I'm, you know, the years of, of McCagnan, Isaac, all these guys just not addressing premium spots. Um, you know, we've seen teams that, that build that, you know, they can, they can stop the pass and they can, they can get to the quarterback. And these are things that Jets haven't been able to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I give you a hard time about ETN and I say I wouldn't take him and I say it's wasting a pick. But in all honesty, I mean, Jesus, Travis Etienne on the Jets, I, I, I said this, I think it was last year I said it, with, you know, I, want, I said a million times over, they're taking a tackle at 11, supply and demand, it's going to be a tackle, it's going to be a tackle. I said, but at the same time, do you think I'm going to be mad if Jerry Judy is a Jet? Like, no, great football players. Right. Um, but it's yep. just a matter of, you know, philosophical differences. So, yep, dude, if Travis Etienne's a Jet, I'll be, be thrilled. I'll just, I'll just be surprised because I'm expecting – you know, premium spots uh, to be addressed. And you could make the case. And, and this is the one caveat with ETN and why it's, it's more acceptable to me than when I see people say, you know, Najee Harris. Is it if, and I've said it before, if you're going to take a back early, you know, in the, in, the, in the top two, three rounds, let it be a guy who can play wide receiver as well and be a multidimensional guy that you can move all over the field. And ETN is definitely that. So, you know, it, it makes that far, <clears throat> far more palatable. So, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, Dylan, that brings us to you with your 23rd pick overall. Yeah, just to jump back at Alex, not not jump back at you, but <laughs> I think if anybody was told at the end of the 2019 season going into the 2020 draft that the 2021 Jets would feature Sam Darnold, Jamar Chase, and Travis Etienne, regardless of what pick you attach to that player, I think yep. every Jets fan would buy in. So, so kudos to that. You definitely turned around the offense. And I'm glad that our mock strategies are kind of opposite. You think that they'll spend high on defense in free agency, whereas I think they'll spend high on offense. So it's a very good contrast here. So with my yep. 23rd pick, I use Seattle's pick to get a player that has been comp to Jamal Adams in a, in a, in a way. I picked Zayvon Collins, linebacker out of Tulsa. He's six foot four, two sixty. He can play both edge as well as interior linebacker. He's one of my most fun players to watch on tape. He had two game-winning interceptions. One was against Southern Methodist, and then there was a 94-yard interception return for a touchdown in double overtime against Tulane. So I think if you can say, hey, we lost Jamal Adams, but we coupled this into a more versatile version of Jamal Adams. He had four interceptions in 2020 alone. Uh, I think Jamal Adams still sits at two in his career. Um, I think Jets fans would buy into that as well. And Zayvon Collins is one of my top-ranked linebackers going into this draft process. Did we lose Glenn? No, I'm here, guys. You, uh, I lost, uh, I lost Dylan for a minute. I wasn't hearing him at all. But then you guys popped back on. Okay. Oh, okay. Got a little silent there. I thought I had to grab the, uh, the yep. wheel. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and yeah. I, I mean, I'm literally just sitting here. I didn't, I didn't uh, touch any of the the keyboard or anything like that. So, a <laughs> little bit of weirdness. But um, that it, when I first saw that pick, uh, Dylan, I gotta say, I was I was um, a little bit shocked. But mm-hmm. I think that's because, and and this happens to me every year. Each of the last few years, this is what's what's happened leading up to the draft. I pick a position that I think there is no way in the world the Jets are drafting someone at that spot, and I completely ignore it, and then they take someone at that spot. Um, Last year, it was safety, you know, because they still had Jamal and May. I was like, they are not drafting a safety, and then they take a safety. Um, 
the year before the year they took Leonard Williams, I you know they had that stacked D line. I didn't do two seconds of homework on D line leading up to that class, and they take a D lineman in the first round. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, on Collins, I watched him a couple months ago, and I, had, I don't I don't remember if you, if you I don't know if you remember it. I tweeted out that I was surprised how little conversation I was seeing about the Jets needing an inside linebacker because who who knows what the hell Mosley's going to bring. Um, right. But the couple games I watched of Collins, he was used almost exclusively at inside linebacker and middle linebacker. And I just thought, if they take one, which I think they will, I was like, there's no way they're taking one that early. Um, but then I went back today when I saw you. I said, I said, what's Dylan thinking here, trying to get in your head a little? And I watched a couple hmm. more games, and I, and I read one or two scouting reports, and I was like, okay, I, I, from, the, from the two games I watched previously – I had no idea how often he lined up on the outside. I didn't know he was as versatile as he was. And once I saw that, I was like, I do this pick. Like, if this guy can yeah. line up inside, outside, be that, that, that Swiss Army knife, I, I love it. So, really good pick. Exactly. Um, and I agree. I think, because, uh, again, it, it's the fact that they, th- that they feel he can line up outside and get to the quarterback, that's good enough for me. Um, and so, <clears throat> moving on, let's see. Uh, my, my second rounder here, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, guys. Um, and this guy plays the slot a little bit, but he can play outside. I'm going with Kadarius Tony, And the reason for that is because, you know, I, I did a few mocks, uh, you know, just out of boredom and kill time and then getting ready for this one. And what I kept finding is that if I didn't take a receiver in the top two rounds, and if I waited till round three, I, it, the the board was loaded with slot receivers. It was all slot guys. Good players. Like, if you, if you want to get a Rondale Moore and you can get him on the field at the same time as Jamison Crowder, I'm all for it. Go ahead. I have no problem with, with drafting any of these guys. It's a matter of, do, do I see the Jets doing that? So I'm saying, okay, who's a prototype? Who is an explosive guy who can take the roof off a of defense? Um, a guy who can line up all over the field and who kind of fits what was going on in San Francisco in terms of physicality. You look at the, the build, you know, a lot of their receivers in San Francisco sort of, you know, between 5'11 and 6'1, you know, not a lot of 6'4, 6'5 receivers and just explosive guys who can make, make, uh, make a catch and, and, and make something happen, at, you know, after the catch. And to me, that was Kadarius Tony. So he adds that element of explosiveness. You're giving Zach Wilson a weapon to work with right away. Um, so previously, I kept going with corners and edge players in this spot. But every time I was doing that, I was left choosing between five slot receivers in the third and fourth round. Um, that wasn't good enough for me. So that's who I went with. I think Tony gives him an element of uh, explosiveness on the offense. They've been lacking and it gives Wilson a weapon. I think, you know, paired nicely with Denzel Mims, different type of receivers, but both explosive guys. So, uh, so that's what I'm doing with that pick number 23. And that brings us to pick number 34, Alex Varallo. What are you doing at 34? Okay, so Dylan and I have been hanging out way too much um, because I'm going with Saban Collins from Tulsa at 34. Yes. And the more I seem to watch him, I keep going to be here at 34. But he keeps every mock draft I do, he's there, and he just happens to be that one guy that I just cannot not pick. Um, you know, Dylan, you, you brought up a lot of great points, and – I'm just going to just quickly add on to his versatility, you know, out of the, you know, 200 plus tackles he had, 25 of them were, were for a loss. He had seven and a half sacks, five interceptions. 
um, eight pass deflections, three forced fumbles, um, three fumble recoveries, and two defensive touchdowns. So I tried to think about, like, you know, the kind of guy that Robert Sala might want for his, you know, 4-3 defense and the amount of money that we have allocated to C.J. Mosley, and God knows we have not reaped the benefits of that contract yet. Um, So not only is this a way to bring in a guy that can learn from Mosley, but when we get the opportunity to part ways with an older Mosley who, let's be honest, hasn't lived up to the contract that he's been paid to, um, you know, understand everyone has their right to opt out due to this pandemic. That's a game changer. Um, But, you know, he did get injured with a groin injury and he played five quarters his first year with us. Um, They were five good quarters. uh, We'll say that, but, you know, a lot of room to left to be desired here from CJ Mosley. And I think that bringing in a player with this versatility at linebacker kind of, you know, I'm not saying he's a Fred Warner, but I think about the Fred Warner that San Francisco had in that defense and how he was a freak athlete and just, you know, was all over the field. And I could see him being in that same kind of role for Sala here. Um, So, you know, if it's at 23 or if it's at 34, um, like you said, Glenn, we're all expecting the Jets to go this way or that way. Um, Yeah, why wouldn't it just be the Jets to go in a a different direction and take a position, you know, that nobody was anticipating like linebacker? Um, I can completely see that happening. So for me, at pick 34 in the second round, um, I'm going with David Collins, the versatile linebacker, just to, uh, you know, solidify this nasty defense that we're anticipating. Yeah, and that's another good point, Alex, that you brought up. I actually – I've had a couple drafts I've done where I see a guy on the board and I, I don't even take him because in my mind I'm like, there is no chance that guy's going to be there. Um, and, I, you know, I know that's the first thing people are going to say, even if I can fall back on while well, I just went with the simulator, which, which you could do, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I'm agreeing with you that David Collins is so good. I, I have a hard time believing he's going to be there at 23, to be honest. Um, yeah. I've, seen him mocked, I've seen him mocked in the top 10. I think I saw someone mock him to Philly a few weeks back. So, and listen, a mock's a mock. You know, they don't, it, you know, it's, it's not gospel, but I just, he is that good of a player. So I agree with both of you. If, if he can be had at, you know, if you took him at 23, I'd have no problem with it. If he's there at 34, you almost have to take him. Um, so that's, uh, that, that's Collins. Zaven Collins, linebacker. Alex's pick at 34. We're gonna uh, we got a call. We're gonna go to the phones real quick, and uh, and hash this one out. Caller looks like uh, looks like we have a caller from Jersey 973 area code. What do you got, caller? That's correct, sir. Well, I was reading the uh, the top the topic of, on uh, Fly Talk about what they should do. Should they keep Sam or they should take a quarterback? I mean, look, Donald has not done has done very little in the three years he's been here. And I think if the Jets are going to do anything, they have, they have to go with a quarterback. Forget about Donald. He's done all he can do here. He had a few brief good moments in his second year, but other than that, he's just been like a wasted space. Well, listen, you know, there's an argument to be made for that. I don't, I don't think anyone disagrees uh-huh. that he played poorly. It's, it's all just going to come down to this coaching staff and this, this GM sitting down and, and deciding – and, you know, <clears throat> probably one of the least reliable voices in, in sports casting, um, Colin Cowherd, um, no when, when, all this, when all this broke. Like, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into what he says, but no. his comment, and really this isn't even, I shouldn't even mention him because it's not insider info. It's just a matter of him right. saying something that I think is, is accurate. Um, and what he said was that the Jets are thinking about rolling with Sam because they believe 
Adam Gase was that bad. Like Adam Gase was so was. bad. It was awful. And, and and so that's the argument against it. If if they and and I mentioned this earlier. If if Lafleur believes, hey, listen, I am X amount of times better than Adam Gase, and I'm good enough to get the best out of Sam Darnold. Let me work with him. That's the argument. Now, whether you agree with it, I think it's risky. I think it's a little crazy. Too but risky. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill the guy for believing in himself. And 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 you know I had the thought earlier. If you if you roll with Darnold, is it like is it sheer incompetence or is it like the most confidence anyone has ever had in themselves? Um, incompetence. Well, and that and that's what we'll find out if they stick with him. Like I said, I don't think they do. But you do make valid points, so uh, we appreciate you calling in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, right, there's one care. thing I wanted to make though. When um, at the, at the beginning of the season, the GM was calling uh, was calling Gaines an offensive mind genius. I bet he was eating those words by the time I think uh, week six rolled around because you end up the season two and fourteen, and you were called an offensive mind genius before the season began. Oh boy, was that a mistake? Yeah, well, it absolutely was. Uh, Again, thanks for calling in. I don't think anybody disagrees that, uh, you know, the Jets are eating their words on that. But anyway, wanted to get to the caller. Back to our draft picks now. So we are at pick number 34. This is uh, second round pick, and you're up, uh, Dylan. Yep. So with the 34th pick, I decided to stay on the defensive side of the ball um, like I said earlier, I think they spend heavily on the offensive side, and I don't think they neglect the edge position entirely in free agency. I, I think they will definitely try to go after some of the bigger names. But at 34, I selected Joseph Asai, edge from Texas. Um, I look at the San Francisco defense um, when they went to the Super Bowl. I look at a player like D. Ford, and they have a similar body size. D. Ford was 6'2", 252, and Joseph Asai is 6'3", 245. So I think he can come in and play that, that D4 type of role in Salah's defense. And when you look at his stats in 2019, he played 13 games and he had 13 and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, two picks and a forced fumble. And then in 2020, he played four less games and outperformed, basically performed better. He had 13 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, three forced fumbles. So he did better with less playing time in 2020 as opposed to 2019 he would be something the Jets haven't had since I don't even remember the last good edge rusher. And I'm, you know, I, I turned 26 this month and I can only remember John Abraham being That's the it. actual presence on the edge. And to just get back to something, I think the Jets need to take as many sw- uh, swings of the bat as they can at the position. So Joseph Osai is my guy at 34. And yeah, I, I think, you know, the Jets, they, they can't neglect the edge. And, you know, you look at what, uh, Salah had to work with in San Francisco. Obviously, you're not going to get a Bosa brother uh, in this draft, but you have to get mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, I, now, I didn't do it, and, and I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. This is not directly to the guys we're picking because I didn't, I didn't use this strategy, but I thought about it, and, and I, wished, I wouldn't mind if the Jets did do it. So let's say you get a guy like Asai there um, or any of the top edge rushers sort of in the top couple rounds. What, what, what would your thoughts be? If they grab somebody like that there, and then with the next pick, you go with a guy like Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, who I really like. He was one of the first guys in this class who I watched and was like, oh, this guy, I would love the Jets to grab him. Because he's more, he's an edge guy, but it's sort of more your defensive end, 275, 280. 
and then you could line up that 245, 255-pound edge guy behind him and have two guys coming off that side or, you know, however you want to flip them around. But I feel like this team has been in such dire need of a, a presence off the edge for so long, I wouldn't mind if they addressed it with multiple guys. Would you double dip there and get yourself a defensive end and an outside linebacker? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to give away too much of the rest of this draft class that I have here, but I think I find a player of similar value that plays base defensive end in a 4-3 scheme that could be similar like a Carlos Basham to pair with Joseph Osai. So absolutely, double dip, triple dip if you need to. Take as many as many D-line players as you can because like we saw in the Super Bowl, it could be the difference between hoisting the Lombardi and going home empty-handed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... uh I think I'd do it. Alex, what about you? You know, obviously I, I got to be the black sheep in the herd. Um, you know, I told you guys this, and I absolutely need to do a little bit more in-depth film review on, on a lot of these guys here. Um, you know, I probably have watched about, you know, 10 or 12 pass rushers out of this class, and, and none of them, like you said, there's no Boses in this class. Um, I think this is one of the first years I've seen – out of out of the NFL draft where there's not like a guy that, that that's going to be like certified or guaranteed to be in the top 10 here from the edge position. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I, I feel, you know, a little bit justified with, with me going outside the norm with some of my, my first selections here, because just because edge position is a premium position, um, I, I don't think that you should reach in the draft to try to fill that void um, you know, I think free agency is going to offer a lot out of that position. So I'm a little bit more comfortable and I keep repeating myself, you know, going that route throughout off throughout free agency so that we have more opportunities, um, you know, to be loose when we get into the draft here. But I do feel that you have to get um, somebody to match up with because whoever we, you know, hypothetically get my scenario from free agency, um, I can't imagine it's going to be, um, more than like three year a three year deal, unless if we you know somehow sign the top free agent pass rusher for a lucrative five hundred you know quarterback kind of I'm five hundred five year you know hundred billion kind of deal here. Um, I don't know if there is any players out there that warrant that. Um, you know, I was going to make a case up until yesterday that the Jets might consider JJ Watt, but you know um, that that one flew the coop. So. I do feel that the Jets do need to address this position and, like you said, possibly double dip, but I wouldn't feel 100% comfortable having that much inexperience at a premium position um, that has been such a drastic void on this roster for so many years. I kind of feel like let's get an experienced guy that we know is a sure thing, and then let's get somebody in the draft that can learn from that guy and eventually take over his spot once that free agency contract uh, is up. All right, so that brings us, I believe we're up to my second rounder, is that correct? Yeah. Yes, you're um, at 34, Glenn. Yeah, uh, so at 34, um, I posted something about this guy on Twitter a little while back, but if you guys remember, um, I mentioned him to you guys a few weeks ago as someone I hoped the Jets could get in the middle to late rounds because there was zero buzz around them, and I thought, ooh, I found a guy no one's talking about. Uh, and that's Ronnie Perkins, the defensive end from Oklahoma, and a week or two after that, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out, uh, just started watching Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma. This guy belongs in the top 50. And I thought, well, there goes, uh, there goes that idea that, you know, hoping that this guy was flying under the radar. 
So he is now uh, Daniel Jones. I don't think if you look at DJ's official top 50 online, he won't be in there, but I believe that's because he submitted it before he watched much of Perkins. So a top 50 player in Daniel Jeremiah's eyes. And for me, the thing that was funny is um, as I watched him, I thought to myself, this guy's he, he's going to be, you know, to me, he looked like he was checking in at 270, 275. Uh, and then you look at his bio on TDN, they've got him at 250. And one of the first things they say is that he looks bigger than he plays, or he plays bigger than he, uh, bigger than he actually is. Um, and that was my impression. So he is, does kind of have that build where I think you can line him up in a, uh, you know, with a hand in the dirt or in a two point stance. I think he's uh, got a little bit of versatility there, but the guy, listen, the guy's strong. He's explosive. Um, and you know, we've discussed it that that's, that's a need. It's been a need forever. So I'm going with uh, Ronnie Perkins with the uh, 34th pick out of Oklahoma to hopefully get some help on that edge. Not to not to butt in, um, but Daniel Jeremiah actually released his top 52.0 either today or yesterday. It was on the bottom ticker, and I was actually surprised to see that Ronnie Perkins did move up. He's now number 38 on his board. So that okay, would be, that... I think, edge number six for him. So yeah, he okay, definitely yeah, moved because up. I He's looked... definitely getting the attention now. So I looked, I looked two days ago, and he wasn't. So that would have been yep. the old one. And then I happened to listen to a little bit of Albert Breer's podcast, which I don't often do. I need to do that more often. Um, and it was great. He had uh, he had um, DJ on there with Todd McShay, and Jeremiah mentioned a couple of guys who he said, "Oh, I was trying to squeeze these guys onto my top fifty at the last second. And I think that maybe if one came out today, that's probably the one he was talking about. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's got Perkins as a top fifty. Like I said, I mentioned him. Since I was hearing nothing from anyone about him anywhere, I thought, oh, this guy could be a middle-late round pick. No longer the case. That's the guy I'm going with. And that brings us to pick number 66 in round three. Alex, who do you got? Okay. And we have two picks in the third round, if I'm not mistaken, yes, correct? We do. Correct. All right. So we'll just do one at a time here. Uh, we'll keep the theme rolling. All yep. right. So I'm going to join you guys um, with the edge conversation here. And I'm going to go bring in our guy that's going to learn from the hypothetical free agent, as I said. Um, I'm going with Quincy Roche out of uh, uh, Miami. Um, Now, he traveled around a little bit. He started out in Temple. Um, He had majority of his success there. Um, And then he went to Miami. Not as great of a year with only four and a half sacks last year. But if you look at, um, you know, everything that he did um, in his four years, 30 sacks in four seasons, eight forced fumbles, eight fumble recoveries, 54 tackles for a loss, that really, really jumped out to me because that out of all of the tackles that he had, which was 182, 29% of them was behind the line of scrimmage. So this guy is a force to be reckoned with behind the line of scrimmage. Um, he'll, he'll provide good run defense, and he'll give you an occasional hurry, QB hit, and even an occasional sack. Um, I think out of the third round, there's a lot of value to get from this particular player. And I think that's where a lot of these guys are going to end up um, with the edge position. Um, you know, who's going to be the first one to start the trend in round two? Um, and, you know, will it continue – into round two and round three where we see a lot of these guys starting to come off the board um, simply because they're slim pickings at that position. Um, so Quincy Roche is my first pick in the third round. All right. Uh, I don't know about, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know about you, Dylan. That's a 
Roche is a guy I liked. I've I've taken him in a few mocks in in that area oh, yeah. in that range. So uh, so who are you going with there, Dylan? Yeah, I'm sticking on the defensive side of the ball yet again. I went with a player that could potentially replace a player that is uh, up for contract. That is Brian Poole. And my selection is Elijah Molden, cornerback from Washington. Uh, he's primarily a slot guy. He can play single high deep safety or deep half safety if necessary. But he's, you know, he dominates in the slot. He's very sticky in man coverage, plays low and square. He, he tackles low, which can be looked at as an issue. I feel like uh, that needs to be cleaned up a little bit. But he only played four games in uh, 2020, and he had four picks and 12 pass deflections in 2019. So I think if you take that body of work in 2019, you can see what he was ready to do in 2020 and just build off that. And like I said, if they don't retain Brian Poole, whether on the franchise tag or with a long-term deal, I think – Molden will come in and slide in really well as the slot replacement. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I, I I thought about a slot, but I think uh, I, I'm I'm banking on. <clears throat> excuse me, on pool coming back, and that's something I should mm-hmm. mention as well. I know you guys have talked about sort of your approach to this and what you think will happen in free agency. Um, for anyone who looks at mine, uh, I I think they're going to go heavy. I think they're going to add at least one, if not two, interior linemen. Um, on offense, so you'll notice that 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 was not an area that I really looked at. Um, but I, the Roche pick, you know, from from Alex, uh, really good. I, I like I like both the guys that you guys have in that spot. Um, so for me, uh, uh, at pick sixty six, somebody we talked about uh, in in our group chat a few days ago, and this is again this is some of that bias that I admit. Um, I saw this guy a couple years ago in a game before he was draft eligible, and I thought, oh, this guy's going to be a good one. Uh, Paulson Adebo, the corner from Stanford, I think he's a really good player, smart guy, doesn't have the elite like traits, the, the, the top-end speed and all that, but he's got, he's got, really, good, he's got really good instincts, smart guy, and, and has made some absolutely phenomenal eye-popping interceptions in his time at college. So, again, sticking with the theme of you know, addressing some premium positions early on, I'm going with Adebo at 66. Yeah, uh, definitely love that pick. Um, he was somebody that I thought was going to be in last year's draft, um, and I was very upset when I heard that he was staying. Um, but very interesting because it looks like he took a little bit of a gamble because um, he might have been one of the day one, day two pick in last year's draft, according to certain you know media pundits. Um, and this year it seems like there's just a plentiful amount of uh, zone style corners and, and a lot of nickel corners to be found. And, um, you know, somehow he finds himself uh, as a, as a day, I guess a third round to day two pick, right? Yep. Yep. So it looks like, you know, he, he took a gamble, um, but we'll see, you know, it's still early in the process here. Um, definitely seems like one of those players that um, has a very high ceiling. Um, so good pick there, Glenn. All right, so uh, closing out the third round here, um, pick number 88, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think it's 86. All right, so 86? Okay. Is it 86 um, or 88? right in that range somewhere. It's, but, it's one um, of the yes, Okay, <laughs> this is – okay, go for it. No, I was just saying that it was pick 86, I think. Okay, all right, so at 86 here, um, I'm going to bring in somebody that I, I want to – 
see as a dynamic duo on this offensive line. Uh, Makai Becton uh, had made a comment on Twitter because this particular player, uh, Deontay Brown, the monster guard out of Alabama, um, Brown had said that he would like to play with Becton. Um, Now, it's interesting because Becton was the guy in his interview process last year that said he would love to come to New York because New York is grimy and he likes the – the edginess that comes from, you know, the background of a New Yorker and things like that. And he can see himself fitting into that mold and he's become a fan favorite. Let's be honest. Um, he handles himself well on social media. Um, we love the baldy breakdowns within varying bodies and why not get him somebody that he can, you know, devastate, um, you know, defensive teams with. And if you don't know about Deontay Brown, he's six foot four, he's 350 pounds, um, he's an absolute bulldozer, a um, little bit of room to be desired in the uh, pass protection area. But as far as, you know, being a smart player um, in his four years uh, at Alabama, he had four penalties. So this is not a guy that's going to be a liability on the line. Um, I think he would be a plug and play guy that would um, possibly replace, you know, GVR or an Alex Lewis Um and, yeah, I, I, I don't know if he would start on the left or the right side, um, but I do think that bringing in a, a body like that would absolutely be great for this offense, and it would give us an identity as far as a run game. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's I, a ton of man on that left side there between Mekhi Becton and Deontay Brown. You're looking at over 700 pounds of pure force, so get behind that guy, those two and just keep running it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's enticing. Um, and as I mentioned at the top, I can't now I can't remember if we said it right before we went on or right after we went on. It was before. Um, and yeah, and I and I tweeted that out. Um, I think during the national championship game uh, when he was playing well, and I said, Jesus, imagine this guy next to Makai Becton. Like what a what a tandem that would make. Uh, the only concern mm-hmm. I have now that I did say before the air, um, looking at the Niners roster, looking at what they run, all their all their offensive line, well, all of their interior linemen. Um, sort of in the 300 to 315 pound range. Uh, Deontay Brown, I think, is listed at like 364 or something like that. Uh, but listen, hey, if they can make it work, if they feel like he can fit that offense, uh, I'll tell you what, that would be fun. I mean, that would be that that would be uh, almost unfair on some Sundays, as you said, Dylan. Over 700 pounds of of human being uh, just taking up two spots on that line. So I I would be all for that. Um, so that let's see, that was Deontay. <laughs> And Dylan, you're up, right? Yep. Yep. So at the 86th pick in the third round, I went the complete opposite body type of Alex here. I went with Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss. He comes in at a at a slight 5'9", 184. Um, he had 1,193 yards and eight touchdowns last year, a career yards per catch of 12.9 yards, which is very, very good, especially for a slot receiver. He could be a Debo Samuel type player. I um I kind of compare him to a Kadarius Tony light in this draft class. I think if you don't get the Kadarius Tony at the first round selection like Glenn did, I think this is a, a value pick for a similar type body and a similar type style of play. He's very willing when it comes to blocking, and you don't really see him miss too many balls. He doesn't uh, drop too many passes. So I have Elijah Moore, and my third round is complete with two Elijahs. All right, yeah, listen, more again, Moore is one of those slot guys who's explosive playmaker mm-hmm. and that's what this team needs. 
And there's been a lot of talk. You know, you said it earlier, and, and I've, I've seen it on Twitter back and forth. Do you, do you keep uh, um, <laughs> what's it? James Crowder. That's it, James. I'm, I, I yep. almost said Braxton Berrios, but Braxton Berrios is the guy that everyone is saying <laughs> you let you let Crowder go because you have Braxton Berrios. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't think Berrios has done enough no. to show he belongs, you know, in that spot. He's a nice player. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, if, if they decide, look, we can cut or trade this guy and save another $10 million and get similar production or at least good enough production out of that spot, you know, maybe that's a possibility. But um, Elijah Moore, very good player, very quick, gets separation, and, you know, he'll be a weapon out of the slot. Um, so, for me, third round, pick 86. Uh, if you've been paying any attention to me at all on Twitter, which you're probably not, and I can't say I blame you, but um, – you would know very well that this guy was going to be on my list in this class. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, running back out of Memphis, probably my favorite guy in the class. Does not mean I'm saying he's the best guy in the class, but he is that running back that I talked about earlier uh, when Dylan took ATN, you know, saying if you're going to take a guy in the top three rounds, give me a guy who can play receiver and get open. And you watch Kenneth Gainwell, and I, I – one quote I heard from one of the broadcasters, I was watching one, uh, a full game, not just the highlights. And the bro- the broadcaster said that, you know, that their head coach said, if he's our best player and he plays running back, if we move them to wide receiver, he'd still be our best player. And you see him make plays out of the slot. You see him make plays lined out, lined up out wide. Um, he's got the speed to get to the outside. He's not scared to run up the middle, even though he's not a huge guy. So to me, Gainwell is a guy who can do it all up the middle, outside, line up in the slot, line up on the boundary. Uh, and, and that's what I want. I want I want an explosive offense with guys who can keep defenses on their toes. That's what Kenneth Gainwell brings. And uh, and I was I was I was quite happy uh, give him another mention. Uh, what was it last week? I think Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out um, he is officially on board with uh, with Kenneth Gainwell. He was watching some film on him apparently and loved what he saw. And I've been kind of uh, singing his praises for a couple months now. So I'm getting him at 86. Uh, that brings us. Right about to the halfway point, actually. So let's let, let's thank our sponsor real quick, guys. Uh, Mile Social. If you are a listener to Jet Nation Radio and you have a business or a friend who has a business looking for someone to help them run all of their social media platforms, because that, let's face it, with all the different platforms right now, that's like a job in itself. Um, and it's one that Mile Social wants to do for you. So go to milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com, milesocial.com. They'll give you an estimate on what, it, what they will charge you to run your platforms, whether it's TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, whatever it may be. Mile Social is, uh, you know, they've, they've got you covered for all your social media platform needs. Now, this will bring us to pick number 107, round four. Alex Varallo, you are up. Okay. So I was not going to neglect the defense, um, you know, because I've gone pretty offensive heavy throughout this draft here, and we do need some depth here. And, you know, there's never enough um, – you can never get enough bodies or talent into the defensive backfield room. So here I'm going to take my first cornerback of the, the draft. Um, I kind of feel like this kid deserves to be, you know, moved up the boards, but for whatever reason, this is where I keep finding him, and that is Israel Mukuamo. Um, don't ask me to, to say that or say it ten times fast, but what I can tell you about him is that this kid is six foot four. he's 200 pounds, 
He has the versatility to play in a pinch at safety or, or be that long-bodied uh, corner that you need on the outside. Um, he's a physical player, and, um, you know, he has the, the ball-making skills um, that, that just can give you nightmares. Um, I know that he uh, came away with about seven interceptions throughout his career, um, but last year he, he had a rough one. Um, he had a little bit of a groin injury that kept him off the field, and then he had a laceration on his ankle that happened during practice. Looks like he got stepped on. Um, so he didn't get a full season in last year. Maybe that's why, you know, he slides down the board, um, you know, in this particular draft. But I really think that there's a lot of upside and potential for him to kind of be similar to our Bryce Hall of last year, a guy we find kind of in a little bit of the later rounds that has, you know, the sky's the limit kind of talent. And um, I think that he could be a real player, um, you know, in the event that Robert Sala has the right scheme for him. All right, Dylan, that bring and, and I mean, looks in this team, even if Marcus May comes back, it's not a, it's not a bad idea to bring in some DB, some guys who can play a couple of different spots for you. So uh, not a bad idea there, but you say, did you say he's six, four, Alex? Yeah, he's, he's a big boy. <laughs> That's a big dude for a corner. That's uh that'd wow. be interesting to see how that pans out, but uh, mm-hmm. all right. So that'll bring us to you, Dylan, you're up. What do you got? Yep. At uh, number one Oh seven, I took a player who kind of fell down draft boards. He had a spectacular 2019 season and that's Chuba Hubbard running back from Oklahoma state. Um, he, he broke out in the beginning of 2019 and he finished with 2,094 yards and 21 touchdowns on 328 carries. And then his production took a heavy dip. He only carried it 133 times for 625 yards and only five touchdowns. And I was looking at his total body of work and he had 500 and total five, uh, 585 total carries in college. And I thought that was quite substantial. I thought that was pretty high for somebody that projects to be a lead back or a number two back in the NFL. And I was looking at other starters across the league and it's actually fairly low compared to players like even Aaron Jones at UTEP had 658. Uh, Najee Harris in this current draft had 638 touches. So even Zeke Elliott, who I thought to be a workhorse at Ohio State, only had 592 touches. So it's a fairly uh, large workload for him. But I think he has plenty of tread left on his tires. Um, we didn't really see him explode on the 2020 tape, but he would fit the blocking scheme well, the zone blocking scheme that they want to establish in New York. And if they are going to go the running back by committee approach, he could be that lead back, if not the maybe a best number two in the league after a couple seasons. So Chuba Hubbard's the pick for me at 107. Yeah, he's a guy I remember really liking uh, last season, uh, or just within the last couple of years, he's kind of been on my radar and, he uh, mm-hmm. he didn't do as much as I expected this season, but not not a not a bad player. And and listen, that, that's that's the thing with the Jets right now. And and I mentioned you know Ty Johnson would be one of the guys I want to know what they think of him because they really have they don't have anything proven at running back, so they could easily go with two backs in this class. Um, you know, one to complement the other. Ideally, again, you know, not the same impact, but I, I hope they're looking at Ty Johnson and saying this guy could absolutely be a ten to twelve carry a game guy for us. And uh, and we only need one back to to fill the running back room and and then use another pick elsewhere. But uh, still a good player who who had a lot of accolades and uh, really again weird weird fall off drop off in production. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going off memory here. But I watched a bit of him recently and and was came away feeling like he was more impressive on film than I remembered him being earlier in the year. 
so for me, you guys, uh, pick 107. Yes, we want to bring Marcus May back, uh, and he probably will be back. Ralph Vacchiano reported the Jets are expected to franchise tag him. Um, not 100% sold on Ashton Davis, and the Jets need somebody back there who can intercept the damn football. So I'm going with Andre Sisco out of Syracuse, um, a safety who's, you know, who's been a ball hawk throughout his career. Get him back there, hopefully with this improved pass rush and, uh, and some better corners. Have a guy who can roam back there, you know, play a little bit freely and, and force some turnovers because that's something the Jets are, are sorely lacking at the moment. So I'm going with uh, Andre Sisco at 107. Okay, good pick, Glenn. That's definitely one of my guys too that I that I've been kind of watching over, and I agree that uh, not knowing what the future holds, and I'm one and the same with you. Um, Ashton Davis concerns me a little bit in certain scenarios. Um, you know, we hear all the stuff about him being a good track athlete, and um, last time I checked, we're playing football, not track and field. So. Um, Hopefully year two is a little bit different for Davis here, but doesn't hurt to go out and, and get, you know, a playmaker, like you said. Um, and I'm going to stick with your same theme here going into round five uh, to start us off here. I will be taking a safety as well. Um, this guy is a little bit of a playmaker. Um, he, he did have a motorcycle accident um, last year that, that cut his season a little bit short, but that was Richard LeCount out of Georgia. Um, you know, about 5'10", not, not a big tall safety skills and, and kind of just being all over the field and um, came away with about 14 turnovers, seven interceptions, and uh, seven forced fumbles. Um, this guy just has a knack to, to make plays when he's out there playing defense. Um, you know, in the fifth round, um, you could do worse. And if he has potential to be, uh, you know, a depth guy, you know, maybe number three um, as far as the safety goes with potential to crack the lineup one day, um, I think that's a no-brainer. All right, and so yeah, it looks like we uh, we both agree that uh, they've got to grab a safety at some point. So, what do you uh, what do you got next, Dylan? Yeah, so uh, the theme for the pretty much the rest of my mock draft here is players that I saw when I was watching somebody else on their team, and I came away not as impressed, but pretty impressed with the player that I wasn't watching, and I ended up taking them because I feel like taking somebody in a mock draft that I haven't watched on film would just be you know, silly. It makes no sense. I can't talk about him. So for the 147th pick, I took Des Fitzpatrick, wide receiver out of Louisville. I was watching Tutu Atwell, who is, you know, clearly going to be the higher projected wide receiver out of this offense. But I look back all the way to 2017 when he was playing with Lamar Jackson, and he had just about 700 yards and nine touchdowns playing with him. He's got an 80 and a half inch wingspan at 6'2", 202. I think he can go up and be a contested ball winner. He's not going to burn, you know, like defenders like Tutu Atwell might, but I think he's solid. And he was at the Senior Bowl, so I think that accounts for something with the Jets. I believe they took three players from the Senior Bowl last year in Davis, P. Ryan, and Mims. So I think they'll go back to that well and take a guy like Fitzpatrick. All right, and that listen, I when I was watching uh Tutu Atwell earlier in the year <clears throat> and JV and Hawkins, um I obviously saw a lot of Fitzpatrick and I I I really liked the playmakers that Louisville had and I I think I said um a oh, yeah. while back that there are a few schools I'd like to see the, the Jets double dip from um and that was one of them. Uh it, you know, kind of mm-hmm. I said Atwell and Hawkins wouldn't mind Fitzpatrick. He doesn't get as much separation as Atwell does. 
but uh, still a good player. And uh, I think that, you know, someone's going to get a, a nice player in the, in the middle rounds and in, in grabbing him. Uh, let's see who's up next. Am I up or is. Yep. That's you. Yep. You're I think I'm up. Yeah. All right. So uh, 147, we got some help at receiver with Kadarius, Tony. Uh, but I'm going to get a little bit greedy here because I'm tired of, of having, you know, not having guys who can make plays. Um, I'm going with another wide receiver, Auburn's Anthony Schwartz. Um, saw him while I was, I can't remember, I was watching, it, it, similar to you, uh, Dylan, I first saw him when I was watching somebody else, um, and he made a couple big plays, it jumped out, so then I started to focus on him. Uh, looks like a really good player. I saw a couple things, and you know, we won't know because no combine this year, and how reliable will the pro day stuff be. Uh, but there are some people who say he's, he might be the fastest receiver in college football. Um, so you're getting, you're getting Tony, you're getting Schwartz who, you know, he's probably a, a fourth or fifth receiver at this point, but you're grabbing him in round five as a developmental guy, but who has the speed and the skill set to, uh, to make plays if you mix him in in certain packages. So another receiver for Zach Wilson to throw to, uh, at 147. And that'll and, bring uh, us I back. Believe the, oops, okay, sorry, I was going to say, I think, uh, according to, I think it was Justin M underscore NFL on Twitter, he works for TDM. He has been posting a lot of virtual workout uh, updates, and Anthony mm-hmm. Schwartz was actually on the list, and he met with the Jets virtually. So that would be a great pick if they could get a burner like him late in the fifth round. Yeah, and, and having mentioned actually uh, JB and Hawkins, I saw the Jets. I'm only mentioning this because I just mentioned That's his name as a guy yeah. that I liked in this offense. The Jets met with him, and he's another one of those sort mm-hmm. of quick one-cut guys. But, you know, I think I think what do they call him uh, joystick or something because he's sort of video game like with the a lot of the the moves he makes to get away from defenders. So JV and Hawkins could be a nice option in the middle late rounds. Uh, not a big guy, but but sort of along those lines. What what the Niners look for, and so I would imagine what the Jets would be looking for. Um, Alex, mm-hmm. you're up. Okay, and um, this one is also two picks in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we have two fifths, yep. two thirds, two firsts. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. So um, to start this one off, um, kind of reaching at this point in the draft here, um, but I'm going to go with a little bit of depth piece here. I think he can contribute on special teams. I think he'll be um, someone that will be a good depth piece. Um, and not a, not a lot of people are talking about him, but Trey McKitty, uh, the tight end out of Georgia, he started out his career with Florida State. Um, transferred over, didn't have, um, you know, that great of a season, not a, not a lot of crazy stats um, as far as, you know, touchdowns and things like that. But he kind of reminds me a little bit of um, our Chris Herndon, um, maybe an untapped resource, um, you know, comes from the Florida market, obviously. So there's some similarity, similarities there for, you know, right around that 250, 260 range. Um, what I've saw is that, you know, he's considered a move tight end, um, he, he definitely has good blocking skills, um, and he does sort of show some explosion when he's moving up the seams, um, and he does have good hands. Um, issue is, is that, you know, he just did not get his, um, an ample amount of targets um, when he was with the Bulldogs. So uh, the stats won't impress you, but, you know, at this point, um, bringing in depth guys, guys for special teams, and, and filling out the back end of your roster with some, some draft picks um, is never a bad strategy. Um, when you're trying to, uh, you know, work the budget here. I'm slowly falling in love with the offense that you're putting together here, Alex. <laughs> There's a little bit of a theme going on here, bud. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, listen, it's you um, know, like we said, you know, we got to get this team into the uh, into the, the into the modern era because it feels like the Jets are, you know, there are 16 points per game team every year is, is what it feels like at this point. So, you know, keep keep putting those pieces together on offense. And like I said, I think the Herndon thing is going to be a, a huge factor in, in what they do in the draft. But uh, any thoughts on McKitty, um, Dylan? Uh, I mean, he, limited production. He he worked out at the Senior Bowl. I thought that that's kind of where I first recognized him. Obviously, because without the lack of production, you don't really find tape on people like that. But I thought he was an intriguing prospect just due to the fact that he wasn't used. I think this guy could be the limit for him. And if you're swinging at 155, at least swing on somebody that hasn't had the major injuries, you know, that hasn't had a dip in production, and that really can only ascend from here. So I think it's a great pick. All right, and that brings us to you, Dylan, yep, with your yep. so, pick at 155. And this goes back to where we were double-dipping at the edge position. I took at number 155 Rashad Weaver, uh, the edge the edge player from Pittsburgh. He's 6'4", 265, so he's probably more of a traditional defensive end in a 4-3 scheme, but it's something that the Jets, I don't think, have currently on their roster. You look at Quinnen and John Franco Myers, and they're more interior players projected into this scheme so I think Weaver would uh, jump in there pretty well he had a productive 2018 and then missed 2019 with a knee injury but then he came back played nine games in 2020 had 14 and a half tackles for loss seven and a half sacks three forced fumbles and only nine games so I think that's pretty productive and I think he was outshined by Patrick Jones who was the other edge player at Pittsburgh and I think that if you could steal a Rashad Weaver in round five, as opposed to a Patrick Jones in round two, I think you're getting immense value there. And I kind of liken them to Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, where Zadarius Smith is Patrick Jones and he gets all the attention, but Preston Smith is making all those plays with the pressures and the tackles for loss on the other side and doing all the dirty work. So Rashad Weaver for me is a great pick of value at 155. Yeah. And that's, again, uh, that's kind of the the route I went. He was one of the guys I looked at in that spot. But having gone earlier with Ronnie Perkins, I wanted to go a little bit lighter this time with a guy who would line up mm-hmm. outside. Um, and again, at this point in the draft, when you're talking about round five, six, and seven, these are all sort of long shot, developmental, blah, blah, blah. Um, I went with Penn State linebacker, edge rusher, uh, Shaka Tony. He's a guy who you know shows good explosion, undersized, comes in at 238. You know, they could have him put a little bit of weight on. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a good special teams guy. And I think he could be a good special teams guy. So I went with, the, with another edge guy there. And, again, the Jets just have to find a way to get to the quarterback. Um, and, I mean, goodness, you look at the way Quinn and Williams played last year along with John Franklin Myers with no help on the outside. Um, you move those two guys inside on in a 4-3 and get somebody like a Ronnie Perkins, like a Carlos Basham, and then throw a, a quick smaller linebacker outside of them to uh, to come off the edge. I think the the Jets might be have something, you know, have something to work with on defense. So we both go edge. Dylan, you go or no? Dylan and I we went edge. Alex, you went tight end. That brings us to Alex's pick at one ninety nine in the sixth round. Okay, Glenn, who was your pick again? I'm just doing the Twitter um, update here. Oh, sorry. Uh, Shaka Tony, S H A K A T O N E Y, and thanks for doing that. I, I was going to do that, and I'm I'm caught. I'm doing a spreadsheet because I'm going to do an article on it afterwards. So 
I'm tracking it on there. Um, so thanks for Who'd taking you get care Shaka of that, Zulu? Alex. No, no, no. Different guy, Shaka Tony. <laughs> I remember Shaka that was like a Tony. TV show when I was a kid, a miniseries TV show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just couldn't. You know, sometimes that brain parts, I couldn't let it out. I just remember the. I, I just totally off topic, but I lived. So that, that, Tony, you know, when I was you, a kid, huh? so when I was a kid in the Bronx, and everyone started wearing the beads. They called them Zulu beads. I didn't. And it was like they just came, this this TV series came out, and like the next day everybody had these, and it was like different color beads. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, How did they get them so fast? That, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, what was I? Probably ten, eleven years old. I didn't. I don't know what the hell it was. Um. All right. So what do you got? He has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, Not a clue. Yeah. here. Sorry. <laughs> Not a clue. There, fellas. Um, <laughs> okay. So we're finishing out the sixth round here. This is. Uh, and then we will go into um, where dreams are made of the seventh round. Okay, so for my pick in the sixth round here, um, this is a guy that, you know, obviously I, I said I was going to have fun with this draft, ten, draft tonight. Um, maybe it's the nickname that, that brought my attention to this player. Um, but, you know, after watching him a little bit, um, more impressed with his 2019 season than his 2020 season. But, you know, again, we're just going to, put a little asterisk on last year because we all know that things just were different. And um, to spill the beans here, I'm going with Wap Fillior um, out of Indiana, the wide receiver. A um, little bit of an undersized guy. Um, the reason why he's called Wap is when he was a kid, he used to devour Whoppers, you know, out of control. So that's how he, he got this name here. But the things that I came away with um, with him is his vision, his agility, his ability to stop, start, and change on the dime and just kind of leave players in the dust. Um, you just see the elusiveness when he's out in, in open space. Um, you know, again, last year, 2020, um, you know, kind of similar to, like, how Jalen Ragor was where his, like, the, the year before his final year going into the NFL was more impressive. But that I don't think that that defines who he is as a player. I think he'd be a late-round steal. Um, somebody that would, would compete as a returner on special teams and then a possible slot guy to replace Jameson Crowder in the event that, you know, we do keep him this year or, or if we don't, I think he's got a good shot of making the, the, the squad final four on, at wide receiver. Otherwise, um, he would be a depth piece. And um, I think we'd be finding lightning in the bottle here in the sixth round. All right, yeah, and, it, and like you said, these, these late name. rounders. What's that? Yeah, you gotta love the name. Um, <laughs> and you know, from from what I what little I've seen of him, he looks like another impressive guy. Listen, a lot of good, sort of you know, uh, a, a lot of really good underneath slot guys in this class, and uh, Wap mm-hmm. Taylor's one of them. I could see him being a guy who who carves out a career for himself. Um, Dylan, what That's do you got good. at one ninety nine? So at 199, I went back to the running back well. I think the committee approach is the one that they're going to take. I'm not sure they're going to spend big on free agents like Jamal Williams, uh, Marlon Mack. I think they're going to want to bring in late-round guys and try to get the most production out of them. So I went with Khalil Herbert, running back from uh, Virginia Tech. Um, I watched him mainly when I was watching Christian Darisol, their left tackle, who I have as a top 15 pick. I think Khalil Herbert – was pretty explosive. He had 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns in 2020. 
he's good contact balance. And I think what sets him apart when I, when I watched him was his vision. He was able to really extend runs with his vision more so than his speed. He was able to, you know, allow his blockers to come in and form and, you know, make cutback lanes more so than just burning past everybody. So I think that one cut style, that patience is going to be good in this scheme. So I went with Khalil Herbert, another senior bowl player. Yeah. And that's, uh, that is always going to be, you know, something to keep an eye on because the Jets have, have picked up a few senior bowl guys in the last couple of years. Um, and I also went running back, uh, at 199. We talked about this guy a little bit, uh, prior to the show in the group chat, uh, Chris Evans out of Michigan. This guy to me is one of the more interesting backs in the draft because he probably will be there on day three. Now, a lot of this will be, will depend on, on what the jets get in terms of background. Obviously, if there are red flags in terms of character, I wouldn't make the pick. Evans is a guy who, who was very productive. uh, Excuse me was very productive a few years ago at Michigan and then was academically ineligible for a year. And then when he came back last year, Jim Harbaugh only gave him the ball 16 times. Um, but when I went back and watched some of his games, he had a huge game against Minnesota. I mean, he had some really big games, really big runs. And he just looked to me like a starting NFL running back. And I'm, I'm watching, you know, his ability to cut on a dime, change direction. And, he, you know, he's, he's not a little scat guy. He's, you know, 5'11", 215, so a little, little bit of a bowling ball to him. You know, we saw big runs on break tackles, and I, you know, I went to TDN and said, you know, what, what are they, what are they saying about this guy? And they said exactly that. They said developmental starter. So, you know, that's that's kind of where I was with him. I said, I think this guy can be a starting running back. If I could, this purely, purely a value pick. If I can get a guy in the sixth round who I think can be a legitimate starter, then I'm going to grab him. Um, so previously, I'd kind of in other drafts I'd done. I was using this for sort of developmental linemen, developmental corners. Um, but I said, you know what? This guy, he may not be ready day one, but I think this guy could be a starting player. So uh, Chris Evans running back out of Michigan um, is my pick at 199. Again, if they contact people you know, who know the guy and they say he still hasn't matured, he still hasn't grown up, then of course you don't. But um, hopefully his time, you know, the punishment he had to, to – the punishment he was dealt, hopefully he's learned from that and uh, – and and matured and ready to take it to the next level, and that brings us that's, to that's really our pick. Yeah, I, I like the guy a lot. I like what he brings on the field. So we'll uh, that, uh, we'll see where he quick, goes in this class. And this brings us to our us in the in the messages that that kind of that head fake in the middle of the field where the linebacker just completely whiffed. I, I hate to compare him to this player because Jet, Jets kind of have a, a stale taste in their mouth, but that was very Le'Veon Bell esque the way he just put his foot in the ground, twitched a little bit, and then the defender fell. So I was impressed with the little bit that you shared on Chris Evans with us today. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like I said, um, I just, uh, I'm just i just really surprised. The thing that surprised me most, and made, it kind of made me w- wonder a little or worry a little, the fact that he was still on the team, he was back, he was active, and they only gave him the ball 16 times this year. Um, that's, that's, that was a little right. bit worrying, but who knows what the hell is going through Jim Harbaugh's head at any given time. So, um, again, <laughs> as, as a guy who brings late round value. So this will bring us to the, the final pick number two forty five. And again, I have no idea if PFF is right. If, 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 uh, TDN <laughs> is right. 
Nobody. Yeah. This is a weird thing. I would think a draft. We're season, all over the map like, this year. Something that the, mm. the, you would think on the team's official site, they would have a thing like a right. banner with here are our picks in this draft. No one's got it. So we're, we're going, we're assuming they're right, but uh, it could be, they have nine picks. It could be, they have 10. Uh, I don't know, but we're just going to, we're going with what they gave us. And uh, this is the final pick of the draft for the Jets. Round seven, pick 245, according to TDN. And who do you have here, Alex? Okay. So, like you said, we, we had to talk it out that this morning on uh, on our personal chat that the three of us have. And, you know, was it nine picks? Was it ten? And then you went to Sports Illustrated and you said they have 12. So, let's go. Yeah, with I'm wondering, and, you know, and, you I'm, know, I'm wondering hope. if I didn't look closely enough and if they maybe did a mock that had trades. I should have checked that. I just scrolled to okay. see who their picks were. Um, so that's possible. That but it, it's the, either, either way, uh, you know, you have websites that are literally dedicated to one thing, and it's the draft. And they're, you know, like I said, last week the Jets had two sixes and no sevens. This week they have a six and a seven. So even they don't know what the hell's going on, it looks like. Exactly. Okay, so um... – we're going with 10 picks. That was our decision. Um, you know, what we came with here. Um, and what I decided to do here is go with a particular player that I felt that not only fits the mold of what Joe Douglas had done in last year's draft, but also do something smart to fill out your roster, um, and be a little economical, um, this guy will probably end up being like a captain of the special teams. Um, he might be like the uh, the Matt Slater of the Jets. Um, and this is Tough Borland, uh, a linebacker from Ohio State University. Um, if you go and you look up him statistically, uh, you're going to say, what, what the hell are you thinking, Alex? Um, this guy clearly just doesn't have, um, you know, the stats that jump off the page. But it is a seventh-round pick. Um, out of the 130-plus years of Ohio State football, um, he is the only – or, sorry, he is the second three-time captain in team history. Um, and the other guy is J.T. Barrett. So we know that there was a theme on captains last year that Joe Douglas did a run on. Um, I think he just meets that mold. And, you know, I made a joke earlier, you know, is this going to be the annual trade to the Colts? Um, where we take our seventh-round pick and just pluck a player from their roster. Um, maybe if, if we were, you know, uh, if I was a betting man, that they might go that route and trade that seventh-rounder like they've done in the past. But if they do decide to pull the trigger, I think it's a good idea to fill out a special teams roster position and, and get somebody here that would be pretty solid in that group for the next four years. So tough Borland is the pick. Let's send it in. All right, not a bad spot. And like you said, you know, add a little bit of depth from a, a big-time school and a, and a guy who's got a good reputation at a major program. Um, what do you got, Dylan? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Tough Warren's a good pick being a, a three-time captain. Um, my my pick on defense as well is Taquan Graham, defensive lineman from Texas. Um, he's a player that kind of popped out to me when I was watching uh, Joseph Asai. They both wear numbers in the 40s. I think Osai is 46, and Taquan Graham is 48. So when the jersey gets scrunched up on film, it kind of looks like the same player. So a lot of times I was like, oh, Osai made a play, and it turned out it was Taquan Graham. So I, I kind of likened 
uh, him. And I think at the seventh round pick, if he's there, you know, take a shot in the dark. He had 17 and a half tackles for loss over the last two seasons. He creates interior pressure, which is the thing that jumped off the page to me when I put on his film. And he's a developmental D lineman. It's the strength of our team, but it could always be deeper. Like we saw with Henry Anderson today, it could be another D lineman tomorrow. I think if you pile up the defensive line, the depth at the defensive line, Robert Sala talks about alphas, bravos, and turbos as his three categories for players, alphas being the starters, bravos being the high-level backups, and turbos being the speed players. And I can see Taquan Graham really being one of those bravo players that comes in as the the rotational player but can actually win you a couple matchups on the interior. All right, and uh, that'll take us – yeah, yeah, listen – a lot of these guys are – and it's going to be fun, you know, in, in the coming weeks to keep watching and digging and finding more guys who we like. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's a fun time of year, but it can be the worst time of year if you follow it too closely because, I, like I said, I, I get fed up with mock draft 7.0, 8.0, um, and you see it from the beat writers. And I get it. They have to create content. You know, they're in a sort of a different world than we are. Right. This is a labor of love. We, you know, this is something we do for fun. Um, you know, if my paycheck depended on this, I'd probably have a mock draft every 24 hours. Um, you know, so, so we're lucky in that regard. But uh, for me, uh, I went with a little more depth here. But a guy I started watching a few weeks ago, um, he jumped out at me. I forget which game I was watching. I was watching the opposite team. Um, and then I tweeted out to ask why. I don't I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not here saying he's a, you know, a day one starter or a, or a lock by any, any means. But Cameron Bynum, a corner from Cal, I'd heard nothing about him at all. And as I watched him, I thought, this guy looks like a, looks like a pretty solid player. Um, and tweeted something about him the other day. And somebody was nice enough to shoot me a, uh, a couple, just a couple minutes video. But it was isolated, um, his one-on-one matchups with Brandon Ayuk, the receiver that was taken last year early on uh, when he played him last year. And, you know, when they were both in college. And he did a really nice job on him. Uh, and he just, you know, he's six feet, looks like he has adequate speed. And from the, from the couple games I watched him, I just thought to myself, if this guy's a late-round guy, like if he's there in round five, six, seven, I would, I would definitely grab him as a developmental corner. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm taking, a, you know, another critical position, a guy who may not be ready to start. He may never start. But um, I think there's something there to work with uh, with Bynum, competitive guy. Uh, like I said, six feet, just under 200 pounds. And so that that's closing it out for me. And I think I said, you know, you know, we're all approaching this with based on how we think the Jets will handle free agency. I'm thinking they sign a free agent. I'm assuming they like Cam Clark, um, two new bodies on the inside. You let the other you let the remaining guys battle for that final spot. You should be all right um, and go from there. But but listen, guys, uh, I really enjoyed that and looking forward to the next one. Uh Alex, I yeah, gotta say, uh, you guys want to do a quick rundown of of each of our drafts for the listeners that you know maybe came late to the party here. Do you guys want to just go down our list real quick? Um, yeah, but why don't why don't we uh, do that individually? Uh, we'll each do our okay. own draft. So I'll I'll start it off, and Alex, you can wrap it up. So Dylan, go ahead and take okay. the middle spot. Um, okay. So for me, so for me, I went Zach Wilson at number two, Kadarius Tony number twenty three. Ronnie Perkins, defensive end out of Oklahoma at 34. Uh, Paulson Adebo, the corner out of Stanford at number 66. Kenneth Gainwell, Memphis running back, uh, 
at 86, Andre Sisco at safety after that. Then the burner, uh, Anthony Schwartz, wide receiver out of Auburn. Shaka Tony at edge with pick 155 out of Penn State. Chris Evans, uh, of sheer value pick, a guy who I think can be a starting running back at some point. Get him at 199. And then Cameron Bynum at corner out of Cal. What do you got, Dylan? Give us your recap. Yep. At number two, I picked Justin Fields of Ohio State. At 23, I took Zayvon Collins, the versatile linebacker from Tulsa. 34, Joseph Osai, the edge from Texas. At 66, I went Elijah Molden, slot cornerback from Washington. 86, Elijah Moore, slot wide receiver from Old Miss. Uh, pick 107, Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, the running back. Pick 147, Des Fitzpatrick, wide receiver, Louisville. Five, Rashad Weaver, defensive end from Pittsburgh. Pick 199, Khalil Herbert, running back, Virginia Tech. And Taquan Graham at 245, the defensive lineman from Texas. Love All it. Right, love it. You know, it's interesting. As I'm reviewing, I see both you guys decided to go you double dipped in cornerback and you double dipped at the edge position throughout this draft. And I guess when you have that many picks, you can kind of get, you know, a little loose there. Um, at, mm-hmm. and, and running and back. I like that, you know, and yeah, yep. running back and edge. Um, definitely like that. Never have um, too much depth there. No, that's it. And and you never know with last year with all the turnover and, and changing parts that we had at multiple positions. Um, if you don't have the depth, it, talent-wise, um, you know, clearly you're going to be a 2-14 and 14 team like we were. So, love, love that stuff. Great great, great draft, uh, mock drafts, guys. And um, I'll rattle mine off real quick. Started off with Jamar Chase. Everybody loves that, right? Um, Travis Etney, the fan Jet Nation's favorite on Twitter. Um, and then I went with Zayvon Collins, the linebacker, with our second-round pick. Quincy Roche, the edge out of Miami to start off the third. The second, third selection, the monster, Deontay Brown, to play guard with um, next to hopefully Mekhi Becton. Um, fourth round, Israel Mukuamo, the cornerback, uh, six foot four, rangy long guy. Um, then I went with Richard LeCount, safety out of Georgia, um, stayed in Georgia and went with Trey McKitty in the sixth round, um, decided to take a flyer on WAP Fillior, the burner out of Indiana, and then the team captain out of Ohio State, special teammates, tough Borland to close it out. So that is mock draft round one all for Dread Nation. All very solid. I think we all did a great job here. Well, I, I, I will tell you now, Twitter these- will disagree. Um, <laughs> oh, of course. Twitter won't like nine. I can, I can assure you. You guys that, are morons. Sure. I'm so glad you're not the GM. We would never win another game. <laughs> yep. All your guys suck. We don't need that dude. He's overrated. That guy's always hurt. But it's all in good fun, isn't it, guys? Uh, you know what wow, we, is, we nearly nailed that to the minute. I, ha- I haven't even been keeping track of time. I've just been letting this go. I think I yeah. set us up for a two-hour show. I don't know how long we were even set up for, but we're uh, about eight minutes left. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Eight, yeah, you know, eight minutes to go. So, you know, just to, with, with that eight, with that eight minutes, I got a quick another quick question for you guys. It's just something I, I, a thought I had randomly. Like I was trying to think, what players do the Jets currently have 
that have trade value because they're, you know, good enough player, not great player, a guy you can upgrade, um, but also get something for in trade. And the guy I thought of, and it's probably because I like some of the tackles in this class, I thought to myself, if they can get a right tackle who they feel is better than George Fant, I think you could probably trade Fant for a fifth, right? You could get something for him. I think a, a day three conditional pick is not out of the realm of possibility for Fant. If you tie it into maybe his playing time, I think maybe a fifth conditional fourth could definitely be worthwhile if they think they can find a right tackle replacement like a Dylan Raddins or Tevin Jenkins, James Hudson. I think there's plenty of guys out there that Fant is replaceable. And I also don't like uh, rule out Edoga getting some, some snaps. I know he didn't really – impressed Jets fans but I think the switch to the zone blocking scheme would actually benefit him almost benefit him the most out of any of the offensive linemen would be Adoga so I definitely see Fant as a movable piece especially when you factor in his salary cap yeah I I think he's the one guy that I look at and say he the one starter like it's like he's young enough he's experienced enough the teams know he can play a little bit the price tag isn't back-breaking um, and I think he could have some value. Th- what do you think, Alex? Do you think a team would give you a pick for uh, for Fant? You know that that's the interesting part because what does he do near near ten million or eight to ten million this year? Yeah, it's um, nine and a half to ten and a half million, I believe. So it's pretty high on the list of. It, but how much? I, I would imagine there's some bonus money. So the team acquiring him wouldn't be on the hook for all of it. I don't believe. No. Yeah. Um, right. There was bonus money involved. Round, like you said, would would be worthy of that because you are, you know, absorbing a decent amount of a contract um, with a theoretically a one year starter. Um, but see, you know, he's he, due. He came in at a pinch with Seattle, but he does have experience, and that does matter. So, um, but you know, right. I, I and guess he, it and would matter with that, the team's budget. Yeah. If 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 you you know, there are teams that believe he could be a left tackle, not a great one, but a good left tackle. I mean, he's super athletic for his size. He he's crazy that. athletic. Um, yeah, he came so down like to said, be the left tackle when, when they paid him before we drafted Mekhi Becton. They, they, well, he came out and said that they drafted him or signed him to play left tackle. So yeah, I think he was a little bummed by getting moved to right tackle. But, I mean, hey, if, if he can still play at right tackle, you've got to play him, you know, start your best five. Yeah, like I and said, I just... It was I just, very hard not to take Soul. I'll, I'll just be honest with you guys. It was hard not to take him as that number two overall with the Sam Darnold scenario. Penny Soul, Sewell. Oh, yeah, listen. With Joe Douglas like, being the offensive guy, I really had a hard time. And I decided, yeah, listen, you know what, let me, mm-hmm. let me take the bee's nest and take Chase. <laughs> if you look back at uh, the, the first, uh, when the Jets got that win against the Rams, um late in the fourth quarter when it was evident they were going to get that win. The first thing I did, I tweeted out a picture of Penny soul. I was like, that's it. He's the guy you pair him with Becton yeah. and you might have the best, offensive line. It. you know, you might mm-hmm. have the best bookend tackles ever, you know, at some point. But as we discussed the other day, if you're Joe Douglas and you draft soul at, at, you know, in that spot and he plays up to his full potential three years from now, maybe four, depending on how you handle it, you're looking at paying because the way salaries keep going up um, at the rate they are, you're looking at paying roughly sixty million for two tackles um, or trading one. Mm-hmm. And look, maybe you do that. 
Maybe you get them, say, look, we got this window where for the next four years we're going to have the best bookend tackles in the NFL for four seasons, and then before that, final, that, before that fifth season, we're going to deal, you know, whichever one we want to deal and get first or second round pick. You know, but, but you know, that's all. And you can tag that. one and, and sign the other and, you know, but even you tagging them. with that. You know? I mean, yeah, I mean, even if one of them is playing right tackle, you know, you know you got to pay him as a left tackle because that's what the market's yep, going right. to pay for him. Like, you can't and say, the, hey, dude, the no, you play right tackle. Yeah, yep, exactly. The new CBA, if he makes any Pro Bowls as a natural selection, he's guaranteed top 10 money at the position. And if they make multiple in their in their rookie contract, they're guaranteed top five at the position. So, for all intents and purposes, let's say Mekhi Becton doesn't miss another Pro Bowl before they re-sign his contract. He's locked in at top five tackle money, which is less tackle money. So if wow. Sewell is going to be the better prospect than Mekhi Becton is, you should pretty much pencil him in for at least one or two Pro Bowls. So he's going to be locking in top money too. So you're looking at, you know, 30, 40% of your cap space on two players. So, you know, you love the, the bookend theory of having the two best tackles in football, but come down the line, I think you're letting one go in a trade or possibly letting them walk in free agency for just a comp pick. So it's, it's a tough decision. But and yeah, here's the I thing mean, that but, you brought up Glenn on Twitter yeah. and it doesn't get talked about a lot. I know we only got three minutes here, but the, the, you know, little injuries here and there that kept Becton in and out of the line. Yeah. I mean, that cannot go overlooked. And, you know, I mean, you, you invest, a pick like that, you expect that guy to be there for all 16 games. You just, you just hope that, that the injuries were, you know, that it was Gase being an idiot and playing the guy before he was ready to Forcing come. Forcing him back into the game. Which, which yep. I think we were mm-hmm. all against because you knew at that point you were playing for nothing. Like, why risk right. that guy's yep. health, you know? Um, so, yeah, you know, you hope that. Let him get back. Yeah, I think the weird, I think what spooked me was when he left with the headache or whatever. Like nothing happened, mm-hmm. wasn't an injury, right. and he just leaves the field, and you're like, and I think, I think, that was like the third time he had left the game early, and I was like, right. oh man, like this is at some point you got to say, hang on a second. Um, so look, right. hopefully nothing. And listen, you love the guy because he weighs a million pounds, but that has to worry you too. Like not everyone can. Yeah, I think he needs not- to shed some weight to to come into camp a little bit lighter. Yeah, and I think he did between the draft and and the start of the mm-hmm. season, and he might drop a little more. But listen, the guy's a monster. This is the off season hopefully, to, to really Hopefully, change. it was fluke aberration stuff. Gase being an idiot, um, playing him before he was ready, and he's ready. But again, yeah. I, it, it, same as I said with Etn, like what the, the the there are downsides to taking uh, Sewell at two. But if you did, like, am I going to be upset that those guys are teaming up on the same O line? It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter of how long is it fantastic for. We um, but anyway, the fourth highest pressure rate in the NFL at that rate if we had those two tackles. Exactly, exactly. Fix that interior. Listen, if they if they saw if they drafted Sewell and they signed Joe Tooney to play left guard, forget Oof. about it. I mean, it, it, ridiculous. But anyway, that's yep. another conversation for another time. Uh, we're down to one minute, so we will sign off for the evening. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the mocks. Uh, fellas, thanks so much. And we will be back next week talking a little bit of free agency because free agency will be that much closer. Uh, that'll do it for us tonight. Thanks a lot, guys. Good stuff, fellas. Have a good, good week, Jet Nation.